So today I'm delighted to introduce and speak to uh, a very old friend of mine, Simon DeLacy Adams of the team at Lovewell Blake. Simon is an expert dental accountant and I can say firsthand that he is quite simply a remarkable man, once met never forgotten, uh, charisma with a capital C and a TV star of the Savoy series. Welcome, Simon, today. Thanks for taking the time out to chat to me. It's really lovely to speak to you. I'll take a couple of things there. We'll forget the old bit. I may have had my 60th birthday recently, but the old bit goes out the window. Okay, I love, it. I love everything else, I love everything else, but the old bit out the window. You're as old as you feel, they say, don't you? Yeah, well, I often feel like a 21-year-old, but that's never going to happen. No, so. no, it's the same with me. I often feel that I can, we can wish, can't we, Lily? It's on our wish list, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> Not at all. That's good. But how are you? Are you well? I'm very well, thank you, yes. Um, you know, I know we had a little chat the other week. We're very, very busy. Uh, we're currently this week, actually, doing something new for us all, which is the online BDIA show. Very interesting, new way of working, and um, yeah, everybody's got their slots on the team and people are coming in and, and requesting callbacks and Zooms. When we next have drinks at the Savoy, when we can have drinks at the Savoy, we'll do that, OK? That'll be on the agenda. Top of the agenda. How did the BDI online show go? I know. And I must explain to people listening that, that don't know Simon, but Simon is a man who enjoys the fine things in life. He works jolly hard, but he plays hard too. And Simon was a star in the TV series, The Savoy, um, where he likes to meet guests and have meetings there um, and as I say he recently featured in the series and it was a, it was fantastic in lockdown watching you Simon um, be you. introduced. It was, really, it was really odd Lily I have to say because I knew it was when it was being it, it took obviously what they what they um, shoot of it is much more than you see and actually when I actually came to television it was really odd seeing myself on the television. Now I had I had as a child I was a I was at theatre school so I, I did actually I'm going to show my age now I did a series of Z cars, and I, I so I have been on television I sh and I've got I've got I've got a clip of one of them I'm a little, a little boy in a prep school about the age of seven and um, so I had seen myself before but it's really quite funny seeing yourself on the big screen I put it that way. Well, I thought you looked great and it didn't put a stone on you, which is they usually say it puts at least a stone on you. You look great in it. Um, yeah. uh, well, yeah, I, I agree. You do got to be. It was, it was. It was real good fun. Really good fun to shoot. And I just feel. I just feel so sorry. For, I know we're going to talk about various things in it, but for the pandemic, and the impact it's had on something like that that has been open, closed, open, closed. I know. And I spoke to them recently. You know, of their six hundred staff, which they talked about, they've actually about three hundred of them have gone. Um, and they, when they said they've gone, a lot of them have gone back to where the, a lot of them came from Europe. A lot of them have gone back to stay with family, whether they'll come back or not. And they said one of the problems they're going to face is actually rebuilding a team when they can open again if those people don't come back to work for them. Because they invest a lot of time and effort, as a lot of organisations do, as we do and you do, I'm sure, Lily, in training and educating people to, to, to the, the Lily Head, the Lovell Blake, the Savoy way of doing things. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's So let's talk about, you know, the, how's the dental industry survived through those various stages of the pandemic from an accountancy perspective? I, I think in actual fact, it's, it's an interesting an interesting topic because I think when when the pandemic first hit, there was, I think everyone was running around with heads as chickens for a number of reasons. A, for those NHS practices, they had no guidance as to what was to happen, what was going to happen, they just thought they were going to close. For private practices, similar. I think what's interesting has happened through is as NHS released information about what could and can and can't happen with practices, they suddenly took a sigh, a, a deep 
sigh, a bit of a breath of relief, should I say, and said, right, fine, we're actually going to be okay. And for the vast majority of my NHS practices, they have been fine. They've met their performance, they've met their targets, they're getting there, they're great. The private side, interestingly enough, they originally were a bit more concerned, especially those that were basically fee per item. But again, with the lack of ability to see people in the NHS, private patients, private practice, when they open, saw more private patients coming through. And looking now at management information as we're getting towards the end of March, and a lot of clients have 31st of March year end, they're, they're fine as well. They've actually managed to go through it quite, quite well with the assistance of grants, with the assistance of, of furloughing, which is another big issue, their, pri their, their private uh, staff uh, the ones deal with private patients, they've actually done reasonably well. Yeah, we've seen that too. And I, I think it's it's had a, it's I think a lot of people panicked about it when it first came, but they suddenly realised actual fact, looking at the industry, looking at the economy as a whole, they've done really quite well. They, you know, not obviously quite well, maybe in the wrong, don't, you may want to cut that out. They're not really quite well. They've survived. It hasn't been easy. They face their challenges, most certainly. Um, uh, and one of the interesting things we'll maybe talk about later on is one of the things from an accounting perspective we've come across is it's made them realise the need to have up-to-date, accurate financial information. You know, gone are the days where you could produce your accounts 12 years in arrear, a brown paper bag came into the office and we scratched our heads about a few things. People want to know what's happening then now because they've got to manage what are actual fact quite large businesses. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And that's what we are seeing at the moment, navigating lots and lots of sales for clients. They're having to think about their business, as you say, um, and they're having to be very aware of cash flow and managing through it because, you know, we're not quite out of the woods yet. Um, so what would you say is the most important piece of advice that you've been giving your practitioners, your clients to help them navigate the whole situation? The advice I've been given is, is effectively comes down very boringly and very unsexy topic Get your financial information up to date. Have your finger on the pulse. Do your do your, your bookkeeping weekly, so you keep an eye on what costs are going out, what's what's what your staff costs are, what costs you can or can't control as you go through this process. And that really has has come to the fore, I think. And it does come down to that financial information is needed so you can make the right decisions rather than just thinking, oh blimey, I think it might be this or it might be that. We know exactly what's happening. Do you find that um, whereas in the past I know that you guide your clients as to costs and you benchmark costs, this is something that we obviously work with when they're at that point in their, in their life cycle where they're looking at selling perhaps, um, where you've previously flagged up escalating costs that now they're listening to you and now they're actually acting on reducing costs and looking at ways. But, but I think they, they are and I think what, what's come through from that which we often do for a number of our clients is this we do an hourly rate calculator so we try and calculate for practice on their cost structure what their effective hourly rate is generate their profit and um, look, when looking at that, they're much more aware of the fact of the items that now go into it. So classically now, when we send management accounts out to clients, which we do for some of us, we're getting many more questions. What's this? What's that? Whereas before, we've tried to engage them and they haven't wanted to engage. But I think the only thing, piece of advice I would say there is when you're looking at this, make sure as a practitioner, you concentrate on those costs that are important. You don't, don't worry, the number of loan companies are, I've managed to save a bit on the gas and electricity. Well, that's minuscule compared to spending some time looking at your dental materials, looking at your laboratory costs, looking at some of your other overhead fees, uh, you know, your insurances, etc. Looking at those type of costs 
Um, one that, quite interesting enough, that's come out quite a lot in conversations has been advertising costs. Advertising and marketing, because suddenly there, a lot of them have said, we've had months with none of it, why do we need it? Well, again, as a marketeer, as I know you are, Lily, you do need it, and the payback is not necessarily now, it can be in the future, but they're looking and saying, well, do I actually need to pay this amount to so-and-so for advertising anymore? Can I do it other ways? And I think also they've become more aware of the importance, I think probably all have, of social media. We, I think we, we may all be, I don't know what you're like, but I'm, I'm WhatsApp, or no, I'm not WhatsApp, I'm teamed out, I'm Zoomed out, I don't want another blooming WhatsApp conference, you know, but that's where we are at the moment, until we can actually meet people. I love meeting people, and I do miss that, but at least it's made people realise that, you know, there's a whole generation of people that actually spend their time and do everything on, an in, on the internet. I'm, I'm an old I'm an old fogey and I do do it but it's not as much as my children you know they do everything they don't I think sometimes youth today don't even have a phone call do they because it's all done by whatsapp or texting or whatever it is they don't pick up the phone and speak to anybody no. it's very true I think I think also taking that on I think dental practices have suddenly realized that we can use social media which we can actually do or we can get staff to do that are not as busy as used to be and we can actually get that momentum that way yeah. Well, you're right. And, it, you know, there's no cost per se. It's just the cost in time. And it, and it is a valuable, you get a great return on investment. As you say, it's a false economy to say, I'm not going to advertise anymore. What's the point? You know, the, because you will see in time as, the, as, the, as life gets back to normal, you know, the, the people walking through the door is going to start dwindling down. But more importantly, your competitors won't have taken their foot off the gas. So it's, and certainly for us as well, we've reviewed massively where we spent our money, we are much more strategic about what we do, where we go, where we spend our money. But without a doubt, to be relevant, you've got to be prepared to invest in it because it's a, it, you know, the return is huge if you put it in the right places. You know, I think the, the issue with the issue with that is an, with an accountant hat on. Yeah. So I'm not your typical accountant with the accountant hat on. We want to say we'd like to say you spent ten thousand pounds on marketing and advertising. What have you got back? But you can't do that. You've got to turn and say, I've got to be there. And I'll just carry on spending that money because I do need to keep that presence. Because if you don't, your name slowly would say will fall off the agenda. And suddenly Joe blogs around the corner who's advertising on social media or in the press or whatever it may be. They will pick up because people just think, oh, and often say, well, we're advertising here. You know, I can sometimes see someone and five years later, they'll come back to me or come to speak to me because you've planted the seed. They've gone away and said, oh, I've got a problem here. I've got an issue here. I need to speak to you. Rather like you, Lily, you know, you'll see somebody who's thinking of selling, but it could be five or six years they do sell. When they come to sell, I think, oh, I know, I spoke to Lily Head. But had you not spent that time at a dental show, at doing something, they wouldn't know about you. No, you've got to remain top of mind, haven't you? Um, yeah. Do clients come to you and ask you, how much should I spend on my marketing and advertising budget, Simon? They, what they would tend to do is that we tend to, we would look and uh, look at it as a percentage of their turnover and say, look, ideally you should be spending in this range. But again, it does vary depending on what market they're in. Because, you know, if, you, if you're purely high-end private dentistry or orthodontic work, you've got to spend more because that the type of clients want, that they, they're going to look in different areas. So it, it varies. Um, and then as opposed to, if we take the other extreme, really, an NHS, a pure NHS practice advertising budget is far less than a top end private. So it's looking at what it is and we'll guide them through that. As we do every year when we when we see clients, we guide them through their accounts, what's in there. And we try and pull out items that are 
of interest to them. And again, I think the pandemic's helped with that because in the past, quite often people just say, what's my profit? What tax have I got to pay? And now we're trying to say to them, look, let's let's go through these accounts. Because I, I always say your profit is the fallout of all the things that gone before it. So if we've got the income right, if you've got all the expenses correctly, your profit's the consequence of that. And the tax is a consequence of that. But you need to concentrate on all those expenses, and just go through them and understand what makes them up. And the, the couple of people I've seen recently with year-end accounts that were December, where they've had the pandemic experience, shall we say, they're actually questioning much more what's in there as expenses, which is really good because it means they're trying to understand their business. Yeah. And of course, as we both know, when it comes to ultimately selling your practice, that EBITDA, that true adjusted net profit, the difference by making some changes, by trimming down, you know, unnecessary or perhaps some cavalier spending yeah. it or once you're applying a multiple of anything between sort of four to eight times EBITDA, yeah. for example, it's a huge difference. And it really does. Every little piece makes a difference. I think the important thing from that point of view is if, if I'm looking at the from the point of view of someone buying a practice, what people must realise is the fact that we do look at accounts for the last four or five years. We don't just look at that one year because we will look exactly for that basis. Suddenly, if income's been really low and suddenly it peaks up in one year, we're going to ask the question, well, is that sustainable? Have they done, is there something there? So if, if you're thinking of, of, of selling, you've got to start. So I, I would say, you may correct me, I, I would say four or five years before you want to sell to make sure you're streamlining those accounts if you haven't done so already and giving a bit more further detail to them to say, yeah, fine, we can actually look at cutting this, cutting that. One area I often see, especially with sometimes bigger practices, is they'll have more staff than they need because they like the comfort of a nurse there just in case. And I had this discussion with a client the other day and they was, I said, your wage costs are high. And they said, well, why? And I said, well, we went through the staffing and they had two nurses that were free little floaters, should we say, just in case. And I said, just in case of what illness? So I said, right, last year, how much illness did we have? Two weeks. So I said, you had two weeks of illness. You're very, very, very lucky for that. But you had 104 man weeks of someone sitting there for two weeks, when in actual fact, you should say to the dentist that week, I'm sorry, your nurse is not in. You have just you have to you have to just deal with it. We'll give you support we can. And taking that cost out of the equation has an immediate impact on their EBITDA. And if you if you say someone's being paid twenty thousand pounds a year, that's forty thousand pounds times four. Let's say the lower end of your multiple. That's one hundred and sixty thousand pounds more sale proceeds. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's one of the biggest costs that we see when we do an evaluation of a practice. It's usually typically the, the staffing costs um, and people, you know, it's, it's an emotional thing for someone to own a practice. And they've often been there for many years. It's like a family. You know, they see more of their practice manager than their wives, as an example, or husbands. You know, say that they're their babies, aren't they, usually? Absolutely. And I think you, you see people, they're just keeping them on and they, they give them a salary rise every year when, of course, they don't necessarily need to. You've got to keep in line, obviously, and reward them for their work. I'm not saying that. But you tend to find that often staff can be overpaid and they're losing sight of the end goal. Um, well, I, well, I come to one point. What I often say to a lot of my, my clients at the current time is if you're trying to reward someone for past service, They've, they've done. They've had a really, this Joe Joe Bloggs dental nurse had a really good year. Pay them a one-off bonus because if you add it to their sa if you add to the salary, and next year they don't perform as well, their salary's stuck where it is. And I, I'm a great believer in in bonusing people. Uh, all right, give them the 
by all means, give them the one or two percent, whatever the pay rises you want to give across the board. But outside of that bonus and performance, and that does help to motivate people as well. They think, well, actually, if I do well this year, I'm going to get a bonus at the end of the year for, de- for, for having done worked well. I agree completely. One of the things I, I used to, in the old days when we used to have seminars. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we um, will do again, you know. I know. I used to say to people, you know, one way to incentivize your staff is to give them an awareness of what the costs are. So share some of the running costs with them so they have an awareness. And it can start with the little things like don't leave all the lights on. So the practice looks like Blackpool Illuminations for absolutely no reason at night down to buying and and it's running the costs on buying and if you assign it for example to one of the team to ring around and speak to the suppliers and perhaps renegotiate something that your suppliers have been taking for granted for good old you know joe or josephine blogs the dentist and for 17 years they've never bucked against their costings if you can make some changes and you can trim 10 15 percent off your you know your materials cost you can incentivize them that way and say look for every saving you make i'll give you a bonus and then that tends to re- that does incentivise people to have an awareness of the cost and and share it with people. And getting back um, to the point I made earlier when we talked, I said it's it's actually looking at your look at your P and L and picking out the high cost items to start with, yeah. like you say dental materials, laboratory costs, and say right, spend some time. So if you've got in that example, we've got those two floating nurses, we'll get them to do it. If you want to keep them employed, get them to say right, you can you phone up and see if we can get these things cheaper. And one of the one of the one of the issues we have as well, I think I think people are aware of it now much more than they used to be. That gone are the days where you have to hold a whole load of stock in the practice because next day delivery. Well, I think we're all converted to Amazon Prime, aren't we? I'm allowed to say that on here or not? It's not yeah. the BBC. Is I can't say yeah. Amazon Prime. You know, my Robin keeps saying I can't believe another Amazon Prime package has turned up. I said I've got no idea what it is. Yeah, I say that. Every day I say I've not, I can't be for me, but it is. Well, it must, it can't be, must be someone else is sending that, not for me. But you know, you literally you can order and provide you order by midday. Next day it's here. So the need to hold lots of stock in the surgery is really irrelevant. But you get someone. I know one of my bigger practices recently appointed a, 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 a basically a champion for for materials. One of the nurses does it all, cannot coordinates all the ordering, save them a lot of money. Absolutely. That's really good advice. I completely agree. So um, how do you and all your colleagues across uh, the dental team, particularly, how do they feel that the current market is for buying and selling? How's it been impacted by COVID? Well, I, uh, from, I, I can speak from our perspective. I think when COVID first hit, we saw a sudden almost knee jerk reaction and sales stopped, I think, because people were um, concerned about it. Pre-COVID, we had a couple of sales that were going on. Um, and they sort of came to a halt, and I'll just come back to them, they came to a halt. And so there, there was a bit of a period, I think, where not many people were buying and selling. And correct me if I'm wrong, that's how, I've, I, how it was from our perspective. It's now picking up again. But what we are finding, so going back to those two that were selling pre-COVID, they actually completed last week, both of them. But in intervening period, the financial institution that was offering funding, in one case, they wanted weekly turnover figures. And that comes back to that financial information. They wanted more, you know, you can't say here's the accounts for 12 months ago, plus a bit of management information. They want monthly turnover, weekly turnover figures. The reason being they want to see the trajectory of the income to make sure that we can get back up to the pre-pandemic levels of income. Yeah, I concur with that. That's what we're seeing as well. So, and I must admit now, I think now there was sort of a, it, it stopped with the first lockdown. It started to pick up a bit. Then it stopped again with the next lockdown. 
And I think now we're starting to see there's more movement. We're getting, I'm definitely seeing more people come along saying we want to buy a practice. We want to look at things. But what they're asking now is what do I need to get ready now? So when I go to market to either buy or sell, I'm actually ready. So looking at looking at particularly at people wanting to buy, we're saying you've got to make sure you've got all your ducks in a row with your deposits, with your, your bank statements, because obviously financial you look at your private bank statements to make sure everything is in order there to see you're not constantly overdrawn, you're not constantly spending more than you are. And then going back to the people selling, I hate to labour this point again, the unsexy topic of financial information. It's up-to-date financial information. And I know a couple of examples we've had with, with you and Abby, or with Abby and me, where we've battled with the seller to get the information we need to take the deal over the line. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I think um, it is a challenge, I know. And it's just, it's people have just got to embrace this. As you say, the ship has sailed where people just think, oh, well, you'll get it when it goes through. It's, not, it's very important. The banks are all over up-to-date information I, th I think it's driven it's not driven by it's not driven by you it's not driven by me it's not driven by the person buying or selling it's the bank's credit team and the bank they need this information your practice exactly the, the length and they, they, you you can huff and puff as well I've had some owners who've huffed and puffed a lot about what they need to provide and I said but it's not me asking you it's not I say it's not Lily the bank want it if you don't tick the box the bank are going to lend the money to the to the person buying it, unless you've got a cash buyer, the same will apply to anyone coming to buy your practice. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, talking about cash buyers, in our, in our opinion, or in our experience, cash buyers usually tend to suddenly decide month four or five, do you know what, I'm not going to pay cash for it because borrowing money is pretty cheap. And then that puts the brakes on, it slaps another three months on a deal. So we're always a bit cautious of cash buyers because they never usually come to fruition and it just ends up with a delay. So we always have to bear that in mind. Well, in your experience, I'm going to ask you a question now. In your experience, do you do you think there's been, because of the the request for information and the pandemic, has the process taken longer to buy and sell practices now? Or is it still sort of about the same length it used to be, do you think? Well, yes, it has sadly taken a bit longer. I think one of the biggest problems in, in sort of in, through all this was um, CQC. Yeah, yeah, you know, you. as we know, the whole the whole process anyway is fraught. It's like the Grand National, isn't it? Buying a practice, you know, you think your beach is brook, you know, and then bang, you're in the water jump. You know, it's it's getting them round. Um, CQC, there were a lot of delays, which was we were talking 16 to 20 weeks. People were taking their eye off the ball. They were a bit slow getting in for their DBS checks and, and everything escalated and caught up with themselves. And of course, initially, um, and like you, I can't remember, it was, you know, the first, the middle or the third tranche of the pandemics, the banks were running at skeleton staff. So yeah. I know we had one completion and Barclays, there was nobody there to release the funds at Barclays. It was that, you know, they're all working from home. They don't have the necessary buttons to press to release. Thankfully, everything is back in normal now. And, you know, we are very, very busy and that's good news. But the banks are still cautious about lending and there's a reduced number of lenders out there. Um, but the delays are improving. Uh, obviously, we do swifter sales with a corporate because they have their own funding yeah. in place. But yeah. it would be uh, misleading to say that they are whizzing through because they're absolutely not. There's still a lot of work there to be done on improving yeah. timelines. And yeah. do, you see, do, you, do you see corporates, is it a, a sales predominantly to corporates? So there's still a, quite a good mix of corporate and private still a very client, good really. Mix. Um, we've recently sold three or four very, what I call a high ticket number, very high grossing selling 
practices and what's been good to see is that we have sold them to private individuals or people with a small group than going immediately to the corporates. Of course, the corporates are always interested in the larger practices with the strong EBITDA. But no, there is a very strong market out there. We are selling a lot of fully private practices, whereas, as we know, a few years ago, private yeah. practices were almost treated like the ugly bridesmaid. And they oscillate between the two, don't they? There's a strong market for both. both. Um, but yeah, CQC, they, we've had guarantees and insurances that they're working on it and, and assigning more inspectors. But of course, they were deployed to deal with the hospital. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's the usual story, but things are improving. But at the moment, we estimate typical practice sales to go through uh, between six and nine months is a realistic yeah. figure. Corporate's a bit quicker, but it would be wonderful if we could sell them as fast as a house, Simon. OK, I, I, I normally say to my clients about 12, expect 12 months. I would say expect. And do you see, I, I still see from some of my client base where they're looking at selling quite a resistance or reluctance to sell to corporate sometimes. Do you feel that or not? Or is that not, do you not, well, you're not seeing that? Um, some are, obviously. It's a very personal thing, you see. And one of the things yeah. we, we really pride ourselves on is we, we, we make sure as best we can to really understand what our clients want. Sometimes we'll deal with a client and initially they're a little bit loath to tell us what they really want to achieve. But usually by the end of it or mid-transaction, they're talking to us and they're explaining what they're their outcome is and if they've heard bad things about a particular corporate for example they can go into it a little bit blinkered they will have already made up their mind and yeah. that's not necessarily always the case a sweeping statement um, so we basically give them an informed opinion as to our experience and we put them in touch with people that have sold to all of the corporates and then they can make their own decision and make their own mind because they all have a very different style they have a different package that they offer with different terms so there is a, a good array out there we do occasionally as I say get a client but not very often that says I don't want to sell to a corporate but usually our advice to them is keep an open mind we take all our practices to the whole market we don't just show them to the big five and you know because that's easy we, we would be doing them a huge misservice if we did that they deserve to have a whole market view and we will point out the, the you know, the, the pluses and the minuses, the pros and cons. I say that with teeth in. Your pros and your cons of practices uh, and the buyers, rather, that will suit them. And then they can make that decision. Um, but some practices are obvious fit for a corporate. Yeah, yeah. But we would never that's, just show it to the corporates because we have a vast database. Um, and we've just uh, today I've heard great news from one of my team, Helen that she's closed on a superb site in London and everybody came in for it, all the corporates. And I'm thrilled to say that I sold it to a, a gentleman who I sold him his first practice about eight years ago. He's been waiting for the one and he's over the moon because he's secured it over all that competition. So yeah. there's something out there for everyone. And our clients, we say, you know, put your listening ears on, take your happy ears off, work with us yeah. and we'll take you to the whole market and then we can sit down and decide What's what? But so, what, what, um, what, I, what I find is what I find is really good though with, with dealing with with you and your team is that you you say it as it is. Can I put it that way? You don't tickle their ears to give them information you, they think you you think they want to hear. You, you're you're honest with them, and that's what I think. All I say to people they want because like anything, dare I say, doing an analogy with house buying, you were saying you know you get an estate agent round. Some estate agents will tell you what they they you want to hear, whereas like anything, it, the house is worth what it sells for. Absolutely. 
And um, I think you 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 hit that mark a lot of the time. You hit that mark. It's got, it's about pitching it right, Simon. You're right because um, on the story of an estate agent years ago, I used to live. Um, in Burnham on Crouch in Essex and an estate agent when we were thinking of moving to move up to Warwickshire I got an estate agent round to value the house and he was very critical very damning about my home I was quite hurt actually and he valued it very low and I thought oh dear well thankfully I got in another couple of of estate agents why would you not do that and got a value anyway he phoned me up that evening and he wanted to buy it privately himself for him and his wife so you know there are some people out there that would fall for that line but not me no, no. Um, always get always get two or three, as you say. You're looking to see what's out there. You know, and then you decide who it is you want to work with. Um, yeah, but agree, um, yeah, yeah it, you've got to be very honest with people because at the end of the day, you know, you're talking about people's lives and their livelihoods here. Um, and that's that's my view from an accounts perspective. I'm uh, while while I am a client engaged me to do deal with their affairs, etc. I'm honest with them. Mm. I won't tell them. I won't tell them what they want to hear because. They want to hear it. I will tell them what is correct. To get hold of you, how would people reach out to you and contact you if they wanted to have any further discussions? They can, they can either give me a call on my office number 01493 335100 or they can email me. It's Simon Delacey Adams at Simon, thank you. It's as always been an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to see you in person. Uh, keep well. And thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you for your listening to me. We've got to have we've got to have food at the Savoy again, like last time. Okay. I'll keep you to that. <laughs> Lovely. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to our dental business transaction podcasts. I hope you found it informative. And remember that they're easily available through our website, lilyhead.co.uk. You can listen to them via Spotify, Apple, or Podbean or watch the video versions on many conversations through our YouTube channel. Finally, if you'd like to talk to any one of my team or myself, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We can help you with advice, buying, selling, or funding a dental practice. So please do call us. We can be reached at dentalbrokers at lilyhead.co.uk. Thank you and goodbye for now.